Hello, I'm Maya Brown, and this is Stories from the Brink. This podcast is about giving voice to personal stories of overcoming challenges in life with grace and humor. Because stories bring us together, and together we all win. Today's episode is about what it takes to become a celebrated author. Our guest is author Mary Dixie Carter, whose debut novel, The Photographer, was named a Publishers Weekly Best Mystery Thriller of 2021. People called it one of the best books of summer 2021 and described it as a breathless psychological thriller about epic mind games. It's received glowing reviews across the board from a rave review in the New York Times to USA Today calling it one of five books not to miss. Mary Dixie's writing has appeared in Time, The Economist, The San Francisco Chronicle, The Chicago Tribune, Philadelphia Inquirer, The New York Sun, The New York Observer, and many other print and online publications. Mary Dixie graduated from Harvard College with an honors degree in English literature and holds an MFA in creative writing from the New School. She lives in Brooklyn with her husband and her two children. So good to have you here, Mary Dixie. So good to be here. Thank you for having me, Maya. Absolutely. So, wow. I mean, you really, you did the debut, right? (laughs) Congratulations. Wow. How does that feel? It's wonderful. I mean, it's, it's really a thrill. It's really, really exciting and really a thrill. And it was a lot of work to get to that point. And, and I am completely grateful and I do not take it for granted for one second. Like, I am just extremely grateful that that the book was published, that I'm working with such wonderful people, and that they've been so supportive of the book. All of it I'm grateful for. Oh, that's a wonderful thing. And it's important. Before you were working with on this book and with this group of people, and you've been a writer for a long time, how did you find the people that you're with now? Kind of what happened in your writing career that led you to the right group of people to support you? I wrote a book um, before this one. It was called Sparkles As It Burns. I got an agent. We sent it out. People said very nice things about the book and no one wanted to publish it. So that um, was terribly disappointing. Um, I did go back to the book you know, and was thinking, I'll work through this and I'll fix this and I'll do that. And, you know, if I revise it appropriately, something will happen, someone will publish it. So I, I didn't just abandon it immediately. I sort of like kept at that book. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point, like something kind of clicked in my brain that where I kind of understood that my energy was not, it was just not the best use of my energy to keep going in that direction and to keep working on that book. And I started a new book. I started The Photographer. The sort of seed of the idea for The Photographer had come to me, I think, like a couple of years before I actually started writing it. And so when the seat of the idea of the photographer came to me, I think I wrote like a couple pages notes, but I write a couple pages of notes for lots of different ideas um, that are just never, you know, they just sit on my computer and nothing happens to them. But so I did, I, I had written a couple pages of notes about this 
concept, it's this basic concept about the, the photographer and the family. And, and it was the, the concept came to me when I hired a photographer to take pictures of my own two children and the pictures came back and um, the children's eyes were cobalt blue. And the pictures were beautiful, but the children's eyes were not their real color. And I said to the um, photographer, I'd like for the children's eyes to be their real color. And she said, there is no real color. And that was like, mm. like, wow, oh my goodness, there is no real color. And she was like, no apology or no sense of humor about that or anything. Right. And so that conversation with that photographer stuck in my head. I wrote those the couple pages of notes I'm referring to. So that when, when I made this decision about the first novel and deciding to put it aside and move on, I went to all these different notes that I have on different projects and potential projects and just read through them and looked at, to see what had the most or what grabbed me, what felt like something that I really wanted to explore and that I wanted to write about. And I read these notes about this photographer and this point of view on the world. I guess that's what was interesting to me was this point of view on the world. And I said, I, this is what I want to write about. I dove into that and, you know, fast forward, I had a, like a manuscript in hand and my friend introduced me to her agent's colleague and I sent it to her. And this, so, so much of this is luck. Mm. I mean, it had, I'm not saying it's all luck. I think that, you know, I worked really, really hard on the book, but for one thing, I'm fortunate that my friend introduced me to this agent. Right. And then after that, I'm also fortunate that my agent at that particular time read the book and read it quickly. And wow. there's so many things that could happen to have make her not read it mm -hmm. or it gets lost in some pile someplace and right. you know, no one ever pays attention to it. So right. like there's so many things that came together in this very fortunate way. And I do believe in the book and I think it's good, but I also know that that's not the only thing. It's also, you know, a lot of good fortune and a lot of good timing. And so she read the book. Wait, 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 wait. You're about to not give yourself any credit, which I'm not going <laughs> to allow because there's another component, Mary Dixie. It's not just luck and it's not just timing. It's also that you hung in there. I mean, yes. A lot of people would have quit if they'd spent, how many years did you spend on, on the first book? The first book? I spent several years on the first book. I mean, I spent, you know, if, if you count all of my efforts on it, right. I spent several years on it. I started writing the first book when I was pregnant with my daughter. Oh. And then I, I had a, a very rough draft, but it wasn't like ready to show anyone. And so, you know, I spent a few years on that first book. So yes, you are totally right. A lot of people would have been like, you know, no one really cares about my writing. And, and there were so many moments when I felt like that. What kept you going? What kept me going? 
I felt that the first book was good. And I knew that I, I felt that for whatever reason, it didn't sell, but I didn't think it was necessarily a reflection of like the quality of the writing. That's an important distinction. So getting your book made is one thing, but writing a good book is something completely different. I think most people confuse those things and think that if their book isn't published, then obviously it wasn't good. Right. Right. You didn't think that that's really interesting. Why did you have the ability to separate the value of the book itself from the value that the market would put on it? So that's a good question too. And and I have to say, like, there were moments when I had more confidence and there were moments when I had less confidence. You know, it swings and mm-hmm. it really depends on so many other things like a conversation that you might have with a friend right. um, who really like bolsters your self-esteem and it, it's all over the place. One agent who read the book, and it's not the agent that I ended up working with for various different reasons, but, um, and it's also not my first agent, right? Um, a, a different person completely, but someone that I have a great deal of respect for, he read the book and he said, I'd love to meet with you because I cannot sell this book, meaning like he was not going to take the book on this, right. this first novel, Sparkles as it burns, but I would like to meet with you to talk about your second book. And I was like, okay, now that's not what you want to hear. No. When you've just spent a lot of time working on your first book, you don't really want to hear that he's only two more years and then <laughs> come back. Are you crazy? <laughs> but you were open to that. So I was flattered he wanted to meet with me and that he was interested in me as a writer. And that's what he said when we met. Okay. He said, I can see from this that you have, you know, I don't know how he put it, but it was Mm -hmm. like, he was interested in me as a writer, but this book was not one he could sell, but he was hoping that the second book he might be able to sell. Now it turns out for various different other reasons that I did not end up working with him, but, and I don't know for sure that that was the only thing. In in between, I did an MFA program at the new school. And that was another thing that I think really bolstered my confidence. Like, so I started the photographer while I was there. And it was for me at that time, I had two small children. So in one way, it was like ridiculous, like I'm doing an MFA program with two small children. But I also knew that otherwise, I would not prioritize writing this book. And that, like I knew about myself, you know, when there was a situation where I either had to do something for one of the children or I would work on the book, I knew that that would be very hard for me. So if I was had this structure of the MFA program and I've committed to it, I have to show up. I have to write X number of pages. I have to like, it's a structure that that I can kind of rely on as like, this is what I have to do. And, and at these times, I won't be with my children. And that for, you know, for me as a, a mother of two little kids was very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also a couple of the professors 
there were extremely encouraging about the photographer. But the thing was, I, when I left that program and the hard thing was writing the rest of it because now I did not have any structure. And then I also had, I, I imagine a lot of writers feel this way, like no one cares. No one cares if I write this book. Like I'm not accountable to anyone and no one's waiting for it. Right. And it doesn't matter to anyone except to me. And that's really hard for a writer to get over that. But did you believe that? Did you believe that it didn't matter to anyone except you? Sort of. I mean, I think that once the book is finished and once, you know, other people are on my team, so to speak, then it changes rapidly. But in that moment, before I have an agent, before I the book before I have anything no one's waiting with bated breath to see my novel when it's done you know no one it's not going to make a difference in anyone else's life but it mattered to you it mattered to me yes it mattered to me because I really felt like I I felt like I can do this I can't I believe I can do this if I put my mind to it and I I still thought the first book was good, even though it wasn't scalable for whatever reason. And I also, you know, looking back at it now, I kind of understand that it would have a, maybe a smaller reach than even if it were published than the photographer perhaps. But um, so, so what I would say to myself is I created like false deadlines, you know, like false reasons they're not really false, but I created out of nothing a reason that I had to finish by this date. Um, Great. And how did you? How did you decide on the date? So one agent had said to me, "I would love to see the manuscript when it's done." Right. And but in a very casual way, and so I exaggerated that in my head, and I was like, "Okay." the manuscript needs to be done by blank or he's going to forget about it. He's not going to care anymore. Now Mm -hmm. he's interested. Now's when I need to jump on this, you know, years pass and he isn't here for me, then then his interest will no longer be there. So whether Hmm. that's true or not, you know, who's to say, maybe it's true that, 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 you know, you, you need to jump on that kind of thing quickly, but it's also like, it's what I needed to tell myself in order to make myself finish. So you used your own storytelling skill on yourself. Basically yes, you told yourself exactly. a story about why it was important that you finish this story by a certain time. And you, you believe it was good enough that you believed it and it motivated you to finish it. <laughs> That's great. You're a great storyteller, Mary Dixon. That's great. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, I convinced myself that that was true. That if I didn't do it by this time, that the opportunity would go away in some in some fashion. And so, um, and so, I, maybe I didn't totally make that date completely, but I came close to it. And then, you know, then I had this manuscript, and then I, you know, got that my agent that I really love so much, she's amazing. And 
And also, you know, I don't think I fully realized how much she would sort of like help me to the finish line, even just in terms of revising and editing the manuscript and, and like a totally trust her judgment or editorial eye, uh, in addition to her business judgment and everything else. So I felt like I, you know, so, so, so happy to be working with her, but that was a hard period. So I would say to other writers, if you are working on a novel or if you're working on anything that you kind of do need to trick yourself in, into having a necessity of finishing. Now, maybe other, maybe there are writers who are not like me and they are like, no, my process is my process and it needs to take as long as it takes. Right. But for me, there's like a certain amount of energy and adrenaline that I need. Like I need that, that energy and adrenaline yeah. to keep writing. And, um, and even to write anything that's halfway decent, I need it. I think there may be people who, who feel like that pressure doesn't serve their writing, mm-hmm. but for me, it's like almost uh, necessary that right. kind of that kind of pressure because there's very useful. It's, it's mm-hmm. hard. It's hard. There's a million other things that you when you sit down to write. There's like five thousand million things that you could be doing instead of writing. And then when you sit down to write and nothing comes to you, then you're wow. like, then you could find a million things, ways to procrastinate and waste online your time. shopping. Yes. Oh my God. Friends. It's, it's all like, right there for you. It's, right. It's yeah. It's endless. And um, it does feel like climbing this mountain and it's like, it's interminable step by step by step mm-hmm. by step. And it's like trying to get all the way to the top is really challenging. <laughs> yeah. But you, like you you've mentioned a couple of times, you, you built a team of people that supported you. So who, what are the, who are the people on your team? I know you have an, your agent, right? But who else do you have? Did you have an editor that you were working with as well? So um, my agent and I worked on the manuscript. Right. This was like the very beginning of COVID um, when the manuscript was done. Now she had planned to submit the book for the London Book Fair. Wow. And that was canceled, the London Book oh, Fair. No. And so I was like, oh my. God, we're never going to sell it now. The London Book Fair was canceled. But I don't know if it even, maybe it in some weird way may have even helped because mm. people weren't as busy at that moment, like where maybe their times were canceled. And they, so anyway, I had within 24 hours people interested in the book and I sold it within a week. And with, there were, there was, you know, there were multiple offers on the book and I got, wait, wait, wait. Okay. So you were disappointed. You went through a very like rapid series of emotions, the London (laughs) fair, which you thought was going to be the way that you sold the book. Right. Right. It got canceled and you're like, oh, this is terrible. And then like five days later, they're like, oh, but you know, anyway, there's a bidding war, but I also want to point out that that story you told yourself about timing might've turned out to be really, really true because you also said something else, maybe because other people, you know, the book fairs were canceled. They didn't have as much distraction. They actually were sitting down and reading everything that came to them. Yeah. Maybe it turned out that that was the perfect time. Maybe right? it was the perfect maybe time. It was important. 
Right. So yeah, totally. Like, so you, you don't know there you don't it know. could be that that was the perfect time that I needed to send it to out to my agent at on that particular day. Otherwise right. the following day she was going to the Bahamas or who you know, knows, whatever. like who knows, who knows? What, what could have happened differently. I also just credit my agent because I think she, her strategy and the way she thought about this and the way she handled it, even when the London book fair was canceled, like she didn't really miss a beat. She was like, okay, okay. well, this is what we're doing. It's like, you know, we're going to take this detour now instead That's of great. doing it that way. And, um, and she didn't share with me like all the blow by blow of her thought process of how she was doing this. But I do know that she was, she talked about like momentum and um, mm-hmm. I was away and the first offer came in and, um, oh, and so this was right at the beginning of COVID. So right. um, it wasn't like every single meeting was canceled yet. So, so I was away. And when the first offer came in, I said, well, I'll be back in two days. Can I, cause she was saying, uh, I'd like for you to talk to so-and-so on the phone. Right. And I said, could I meet them in person? I'll be back in two days. Right, and she was like, no, I don't think we should wait two days. I think we should like move on this. Like you want um, people to be, to feel like if they don't do something quickly, it's going to be gone. Or, you know what I mean? You want, yes. you want to feel that urgency. So yeah. she didn't want to just sit around for two days. She wanted to move on it quickly. And then I got a two book deal. The bid that, the, you know, the offer that I ended up taking, I'm so thrilled, thrilled, thrilled with I am working with Minotaur Books, St. Martin's Press. Great. My editor is Catherine Richards, who's incredible. And, and, um, and so now I'm working with her and with all of them again on my second wow. book. Oh, wow. Um, Congratulations. Yeah. Have you already started on your second book? I, I have started on my second book. Wow. Um, I don't have too much to report on my second book, except that the deadline's approaching. Speaking of deadlines. The deadline and that you gave yourself or the deadline no, that the deadline gave that they gave me. Now this so is a, a real different... deadline. <laughs> <laughs> but you have practice with this because you went yes. through the process with yourself. Yes, before, exactly. Right? Okay, exactly. So this is good. Okay. So um, yes, it's the deadline that they gave me. So okay. it's like a much stronger deadline. And yes, I'm working away. I, you know, trying to push, 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 push forward to get this, to get this draft done. Um, you feel like writing this book, do you feel like it's getting easier? Like the first book? No, it's not easier. It's always the same mountain. It's not easier. It's there. Yeah. There may be a few things that are easier, just more like technical things that I know how to handle better than I did, but no, it's not really easier. It's not really easier because I'm not, you know, there's nothing that I'm doing that's like cop. I mean, at least I'm trying my best. I'm not copying anything from the first book. So, you know, it's like, it's the same, same amount of effort. Now, the only thing I can say is that like, I think that by the third book, <laughs> knock on wood, now. That's where you my are confidence now. Yeah. hopefully will keep growing. So I won't doubt myself at every step. 
I'm still mm. in, you know, I still don't have like such confidence that like, I'm like, oh, I'm sure this is going to be great. I, I, mm. you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, what if that's the only good book that I can write and I can't write another good book? <laughs> oh my gosh. How often does that come up? Is that like a daily, like thought that goes through your head? And no, then you're like, I mean, I'm come sort on. of joking, but I'm sort of joking, but I'm sort of not because yeah. I think every writer must feel like, well, I did it before, but that doesn't necessarily mean I can do it again. Right. I mean, it, there's a, there's the, there is that voice, but there's another voice, which is like, yes, I can do it again. I did okay. it before. I can do it again. The difference now is that there is a real time pressure as right. opposed to my own fabricated one. And and the fabricated time pressure, you know, that came after spending quite a bit of time percolating right. my concept. So by the time I wrote it, I'd actually been thinking about it for quite some time. Whereas this is different. When you say quite some time, just for people who haven't gone through this process, what kind of time are we talking about that you're like thinking about these ideas? How many, is this like years or months? Or So the photographer idea, I think I came up with the idea like two years before I started writing it. Wow. And, but I wasn't like working on it actively. Right. I just came up with that concept. I think maybe, yeah, it may be two years before I actually started writing it. You told us, you said a little bit about like the inspiration for the photographer, but for the unlucky few who have not read it without uh, creating a, a spoiler, could you just give us a little bit of an idea of what the world is in the book? What, what's yes. it about? Delta Dawn is the photographer. She takes pictures of wealthy New Yorkers and their children. And at the opening of the book, she goes to the home of the Straub family to photograph Amelia and Fritz's daughter's birthday party. Their daughter's 11 years old. And she falls in love with this family and she becomes obsessed with this family. And the book is the story of her trying to insinuate herself into the family. I think I'm really interested in, or someone who feels they have an outsider status. And so she, this woman, Delta Dawn, she feels as though she's an outsider. She feels as though she's not as educated. She's not polished. She's not glamorous. She doesn't have everything that the Straub family has. And she wants to be a part of them and she wants to be them, like both at the same time. But Mary Dixie, you're not an outsider. Where do you get this from? Where do you get this from? Where do you get this from? I'm reading this book and I'm thinking, because I know you, I'm thinking, how in the world come up with this person? <laughs> and also, she's kind of crazy. <laughs> and the thing that really struck me, again, hopefully not to spoil the book for anyone, the thing that really struck me, I don't read a lot of thrillers. In general, I'm more of a, you know, I like to read happy fiction. But, um, <laughs> but the thing that struck me was how calm the character was and how at ease she seemed with things that she was doing that were really crazy. <laughs> how did you get inside the mind of someone like that being the person that you are? 
Well, there, there's one answer I could give you, which is that I have an acting background. And that That's good. translates in some ways to right. this, which is like, throw yourself into this person's head and body and like, really find what this person would do. And like allow that voice to take over and don't like mm-hmm. impose your own idea of what is appropriate onto this other person. But I can also say that I know that she's crazy, Delta Dawn, but she, <laughs> but I hope that readers have some compassion for her. Yeah. I have some compassion for her. I hope that readers do too. And there is something in her that I believe that maybe everyone has a tiny, tiny bit of it. And it's this feeling like I don't really belong. I am a fraud or imposter syndrome. I'm yeah. an imp- imposter mm-hmm. syndrome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't really belong to this, or I'm an, I'm I'm looking in at this situation and I'm not exactly a part of it. Mm-hmm. I um, am not fully a part of the center of it. And I think I have felt that way in my life. And, and it isn't necessarily external circumstances that always dictate it. Like in, exactly. in Delta Dawn's case, it's a socioeconomic mm-hmm. thing that drives it largely. She feels like, yeah. she, you know, she doesn't have the affluence. She doesn't have the education. She, But I think that you could feel like an outsider for so many different reasons. Yeah. And, um, and you know, I don't know that this is it, but this is something that could be a part of my like interest in outsider nests is that my, both of my parents were married three times. And so in my life, there was always like a divorce and a remarriage and a divorce and a remarriage. And so when you go like into a situation where you're, um, you know, it's sort of your home, but it's not really your home, maybe, or you don't, if you're a child, you don't know, like, how much is it your home, and how much is it not, because now someone's there who's not your real parent, or not your biological parent, and it's that person's house, and then, you know, if you've got step and half, and everything, it's like, who am I, and where do I fit into this? And then I think that that can be confusing for a child who has a lot of, you know, uh, that kind of childhood with a, with a mixed, you know, whatever the word is, you know, mixed family. Fam- yeah, but that, yes. that makes absolute sense. And also just to your earlier question, um, that was also one of the things about the character that I didn't expect is that I did really like her. I did really like her and I did keep rooting for her to like (laughs) snap out of it. Like I really wanted Delta to not have the normal like um, societal constraints on her. And I wanted her impulse, like she has no impulse control, except when she knows she needs to, like if she's around other people and, you know, she knows how to talk the talk, I guess. Or, but when when left to her own devices and no one else is around, she follows all these impulses with with like no sense of like that is just not appropriate. 
Right. And, or she doesn't care. Even if she knows it's not appropriate, she really doesn't care. When you're creating a character like that, did you create like a whole backstory, like a family that she, like her family background? Did you kind of like create that for yourself so that you could, because I was like, I'm like, why is she, why I understand she like that this? she's doing this, but like, I kept wondering like what had happened to her or as a whatever, child. which is also great. Cause you're, yeah, you're kind of, that's a mystery within the mysteries. You're saying to yourself, okay, what creates someone like that? So I did explore and to do some research on like the the psychology behind her behavior I guess you'd say like the sort of emotional psychological what's behind her behavior but I didn't end up wanting to include like a diagnosis per se in the book because I felt like it would send it in the wrong direction a diagnosis of her condition what do you mean by the wrong direction? I didn't and don't think the book is about that. No. I think okay. it's more about like, how are we all similar to her? Or okay. that's what it's about for me. Is, okay. And I know everyone else is going to take their own thing from it. But um, so I know people who have very low self-esteem or I believe they have very low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. I know a couple of people like this who they, they may have, accomplished things in their life. They may have like the outward appearance of success, whatever that means, but they don't feel that themselves and they will never feel that. Like it's just impossible for them to feel Mm -hmm. that, to feel successful or to feel like they have a good life or to see it that way. Like, and there's one person in particular that I'm thinking of. There's more, there's more than one person. But someone who is always going to move to a new city or find a new job or change like their external circumstances in hopes that that's going to solve the problem. Like I know some people keep moving, like they keep moving and moving and moving. And that isn't the problem. It's where they live is not the problem. And their job might be, but it might not be the problem either. Right. There's a deeper problem, which is like a, a lack of self-love or something. Right. And that is Delta's situation is like, in many ways, she's like, if I could be part of this family, it would all be perfect. My life would be perfect if I could be part of this family. Now she doesn't need them. She has, she doesn't need anything about them. She's got so much going for her. She's very smart and talented and attractive. They're not exactly perfect. No, they're a disaster. (laughs) Exactly. They're a total disaster. Oh no. Yeah. She sees them as some answer to all her prayers mm-hmm. and they're so not that. Um, so that's what I was interested in is like mm-hmm. how we, you know, that, that's sort of like low self-esteem and how that can drive people interesting to, to do what they do. Really um, interesting. And not, not as much interested in the sort of psychological um, or like, like how would you would define her condition? 
Interesting. So you went on a whole journey with Delta Dawn, right? And you wrote this book with her. How do you say goodbye to a character like that, that you've been spending so much time with? Like, how, like, how do you not think about that person anymore? <laughs> you got to know I her mean, pretty well. You like, do get to know her pretty well. It's not like a super happy time being in her head. No. So as much as I say, oh, I hope, I hope everyone has compassion for her, I do. But being in her head, though at times I amused myself when I was writing her, what some of the stuff that she did, but it's also pretty dark, yeah. or at least like that's the place I would go to when mm-hmm. I was in her head, it was mm-hmm. like a pretty dark place of like self-loathing, I think. Um, so in some ways, I'm like glad to have it <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to be in Delta's head anymore. I just don't. I, um, you know, you're ready ready for a new space. Yeah. Yeah. And who knows, you know, I'm sure there's going to be some characters in the new book who I don't enjoy being in their head that much, but, um, but people have asked me about a sequel and I, I'm like, you know, Delta's done. Like I am so done with Delta. I have nothing to say more except that it is being made into a TV series. And great. What's happening with that? So knock on wood, you know, it's like, I'm still not, it hasn't been formally announced. So I'm still not really supposed to talk about it in in any specific way, except I can say that it's in the works. Wonderful. There is a side of me that's like, um, let's see what they do. Like, you know, what? Yeah, who knows? (laughs) Like, who knows? So that's super, yeah, that's super cool. And also the paperback comes out, the paperback of the photographer comes out in August. Perfect. Um, So that's fun too. Mm -hmm. Um, So what is, so for an author, so you, okay, so you, you did a lot of publicity and a lot of work around the initial release. What happens, what happens with the paperback? Do you go on another tour? Are you going to go on a tour? Like, how does that work? Well, first I should just say in the age of COVID, nothing is the same as it used to be. But my initial book tour was like a virtual book tour in, you know, a lot of bookstores, I did events that were virtual. And, you know, thank God that that's a possibility. You know, as the summer wore on and as it was safer, I did some in-person events. And then also with my husband and kids, we rented an RV and we drove across the country and I went to tons of bookstores. How fun. You rented an RV? We rented an RV. Wow. We we, um, drove across the country with a couple of stops like at, you know, family or friends. But for the most part, we were in the RV and, um, and we decided our journey largely based on like bookstores that I wanted to go to, bookstores that maybe had been supportive and that that I wanted just to go um, sign books in, That's in so their great. bookstore. And so, so that was really, really nice. So then um, like your whole family is now involved in the yeah, mission. Your kids know about it. Like they're getting yeah. involved. That's really great. So are your, do your children ask you about um, your, the new story that you're working on? Are they curious? Yes, they do yeah. ask me about it and I don't talk about it. You won't tell them? You know, here's the thing about talking about a book that you're working on, especially in the early stages, 
is it's like, this may be, I don't know, this may sound really annoying, but I do think that some of your energy and intensity kind of is like diffused because like it's in your head and your outlet is the, um, the text on the page. Right. And, but if your outlet becomes, you know, your kids or your friend or whatever, and you're talking about it, some of that, whatever's building up in your head that like, you might be like, yeah, yeah, I know what the, the, you know, like all these ideas that might be churning, you sit down at the computer and in an ideal world, not that this happens all the time, but occasionally you're like, I know, you know, what I need to write, but you might not have as much sort of drive or energy or sort of intention if you've been talking about it a lot. Now that, I don't know if that sounds like BS. Um, no, I told my husband that and he kind of rolled his eyes a little bit. He was like, uh, but. <laughs> no, I think that that's true with any, with, I think with any, anything creative that there's like this, yeah, I don't know what to call it. Some kind of energy that does dissipate in the, yeah. especially in the beginning. In the beginning. Too many people are involved in the inception of whatever it is. Yeah. I think that's And also true. like someone can unknowingly say something that confuses you, hmm. you know, like even the tiniest little remark, like, oh, I read a book that was similar to that and da, 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 da. And now all of a sudden you're like, oh, really? There's a book out there that's similar to this. And then you're like going to go look it up oh, and no. read it. And like, you know, you kind of don't want to hear those innocent, totally innocent comments. If you're talking to someone who is really thoughtful about the whole thing, they might say in a very, you know, in a very focused and thoughtful way, you should really read da-da-da-da, because I think that, you know, that could be good inspiration for you. Right. So that's one, you know, that's one thing which could be very helpful. And maybe right. I'll read it, maybe I won't, but you know, it could be helpful material or, or any innocent comments that could totally confuse you. Or I saw a movie, that's the other one. I saw a movie that was sort of like that. And no. now you're like, oh God, do I need to go look up that movie? Oh um, no, you don't have time um, for that. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't, don't have time, time for that. And also it's not like, maybe it doesn't serve you. No. Like maybe it, Maybe there's it's vaguely similar to that movie, but maybe you shouldn't even watch the movie because maybe it would just like get in your head and confuse you. So what do you say? What do you say to your kids when they're like, mommy, mommy, like what, what are you writing about? Like, how do you deal? How do you deal with friends, well-meaning friends and children and people who people like me who want to know what it is that you're writing about? What is I'm writing about? Well, so my kids are irritated with me because I have not let them read the photographer, as oh. you can understand, yes. because it's not appropriate for an 11 year old and a nine year old. Like, and I was like, no, you're not going to read it till you're 21. It's totally inappropriate. So, so they're already irritated with me okay. because of that. Right. Um, now the new book, they're, 
now they're asking more questions about the new book, more, more so the 11 year old, my daughter, the 11 year old is asking questions about the new book. And um, yeah, and she, she's gonna continue to ask questions and eventually I'll tell her something, but, but then also it doesn't, like when I tell her the story, it doesn't sound like, she's like, well, why is that so bad? Why can't I read it? It sounds like I should be able to read it. I mean, I saw, I read this book and, or I saw this movie and, but so I'm not able to explain no. the ways in which it's really, really inappropriate because, you know, on the surface it's about a photographer right. who takes pictures of a family. Mm-hmm. Sounds pretty innocent. <laughs> yeah. On some levels. Yeah. yeah. That's, um, that's really, that's an interesting balance. And, um, yeah. I think one thing, one thing that's come through and everything that you've said is that I don't know if you know this about yourself, but you have a really extraordinary ability to create boundaries for yourself that make it possible for you to function and move forward. And that's, I think that's something that's really hard for people to do. Oh, I'm glad to hear you say that. I mean, I, I hope that's true. I really hope that's true. No, but it's obviously true. I mean, if your kid is asking you every day, as we know, young people (laughs) can be very, very persistent. And somehow you guys are not killing each other and still they haven't read the book, then you're some kind of a genius because that is, <laughs> what do you do with that? It's like, yeah, it's definitely a challenge. And the other thing is like the, um, you know, when I did in-person events, the children, for the most part, I made sure that they did not attend the in-person uh, events. They would go into a bookstore with me if I was just signing books. Okay. But the in-person events often would include my reading passages from the book. And then sometimes include questions from the audience that, you know, would really touch on some of the darker themes. Yeah. And like things that I just, I knew I would feel self-conscious if I had to answer the question in front of the children. And, And perhaps my answer wouldn't be as good because right. I would sort of like tame it down or dilute it. And then um, the passages that I would choose to read from the book, I usually choose to read like one of the racier passages from the book. Sure. I don't know if racy is the right word, but one of the mo- more provocative passages from the book. Because for one thing, people are like, even if they're like, you know, weirded out, they're interested. And maybe if they have not read the book and have not bought it, maybe they will. And that's the whole point, you know, is to try to get people to buy the book. So, but that, that racy slash provocative passage, if I knew my kids were listening, I wouldn't read it. And I would, I just wouldn't, I would be too weirded out to read it. So I would choose a different reading and, you know, maybe Mm. that would be fine, but I would tame everything down and take it down a notch, you know? Probably. Well, I look forward to seeing how that develops as you become more well-known as an author and also as your children become more adept at finding information, you know, teenagers, YouTube, (laughs) you know, mommy's on TV. What are you going to do? Yeah. So that'll be really interesting to see that because, um, yeah, I have a feeling I'm really looking forward to the next book and I'm sure that 
many of your readers are. So, oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm really looking forward. I just, the way that you drew the characters and talking to you today, I understand so much better why the characters were so compelling. Just the way that you think about them. Oh, thank you. Very, 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 very interesting and fun to read. Thank you so much. Thank you all for joining the conversation today. Remember, stay present and share your story. Stories bring us together and together we all win. Stories from the Brink is produced by Billy Robinson, hosted by me, Maya Brown, music by Octopus Kid. Octopus Kid.